You are now listening to In the Trench. Good morning, and welcome back to another episode of In the Trench, episode number 20. We are rolling through this season. Um, I'm, as always, going to give it off to Nicole to introduce the sponsors. Hopefully this week she could do it the right way. I'm not going to mess up. Okay, thank you for Hillbilly Ice Tea. Use code ITTWE21 for 10% off of your purchase. And thank you, Mini Activewear. Use code ITT20 for 20% off of your purchases. Amazing. Thank you. Now I'm going to show this. I'm going to keep this introduction short just because I know last Wednesday's video was very long because I had a lot to get off my chest. If you haven't seen that episode, please go back and watch me rant about the stupid usage of steroids amongst middle schoolers. Fuck. All right. <laughs> this week, I had the opportunity to interview Ben Lamb. I was part of a roundtable, and I was able to introduce, uh, interview Ben Lamb and George Church. They are, ben Lamb is the founder of the company called Colossal. They've been all over the news on CNN, Good Morning America, BBC, freaking everywhere. They are re, uh, they're bringing back the mammoth. They're de-extincting the mammoth. The thing we talked about with Jack Horner, what he's doing with the dinosaur, they've already successfully begun doing it with a mammoth. And they're expecting to have a calf soon. I'm not going to tell you when. Watch the episode. They tell you when. <laughs> but it was very awesome that I got the chance because they don't do one-on-one -on -one interviews. So they invited me to this roundtable with, a reporter from Mozambique, a reporter from Washington, D.C., a reporter from Hong Kong. And uh, it's incredible. I was super honored to, to be there. So thanks again to Ben Lamb and George Church. Super interesting what they're doing over at, at Colossal. Stay tuned after this episode. We're going to have a little post-podcast meeting with me and my friends talking about what we learned, what we think, our own opinions on de-extinction, and what we learned from Jack Horner last season and bring that into this. Um, I'm, I'm ranting again. So anyway... Watch the episode. These fuckers are bringing back the mammoths. We're going back to the Ice Age, baby. Okay. Mm Watch the episode and then let us know. Oh, I'm actually going to start with you because you're in my first square. If you want to say your name and where you're from, you can go ahead and start. Hello. Uh, good afternoon. I mean, hello. It's afternoon here in Mozambique. Uh, it's a great pleasure and I'm truly very excited to be here in this platform and sharing the space with you, so, uh, George. And um, I see this, uh, uh, this leap has uh, one of the biggest of humankind. So it's very interesting to be here. So thank you for having me here. Uh, my name is Sergio Dufisage Nelson. I'm from Mozambique. I am a journalist and uh, environmental activist. And uh, I founded in 2013 the Association of Environmental and Human Rights Journalists here in Mozambique. So it's uh, my interest to, to, to research and uh, talk about this kind of topics. I don't know if I can put this question, but uh, one of my first questions I have sent is about uh, the meaning of talking about the extinction in the modern times. What is the meaning of all of this? Uh, I've been reading about this attempt of bring back the mammals. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, and uh, that's why I, I've heard this question. What is the meaning of talking about the extinction the extinction in these modern times. So just to be clear, we're, we're de-extincting genes, gene variations, not species. Uh, we're, yes, trying yes. To, we're trying to increase diversity. So we can get, we can harvest diversity from all over the world and back in time, at least a million years. So 
mammoths lived on every continent of the world except for uh, Antarctica and Australia. And so we can harvest all that diversity and enrich the endangered Asian elephant. So we're trying to save the Asian elephant and also restore the, the, the uh, Arctic to a, to a uh, state that is more conducive to carbon sequestration, which is a top uh, priority for uh, modern conservation efforts uh, and, and for that matter, uh, climate change uh, goals. So, so those are the main goals is technology development, Asian elephant, uh, de-endangerment and uh, um, Arctic, um, uh, Arctic land uh, restoration. Well, well, can I continue? I don't know. Okay. Can I continue, Emily? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll go past. Right, yeah, I'm sorry, Sergio, we'll come back to you and give Caroline. Ah, okay, okay, that's question. fine. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, thanks very much for your time today. I'm Caroline Malone. I work with Feature Story News as a correspondent based in Washington, D.C. Um, we're covering this story because we are interested specifically in, obviously, resurrection of the genes and also the help with climate change. Um, I'm interested to know kind of the practicalities of the matter. So, you know, how long do you think it might take? Um, how many of the species? before there may be some impact on, you know, carbon and also the cl climate change issues? Yeah, great question. So this, uh, sorry, I'm not on camera, guys. Um, we are targeting uh, four to six years for our first calves. Um, you know, our, our goal, you know, we think that's a, uh, an aggressive goal, but as, as George will say, most of science is, is solved and we've just got uh, engineering scale uh, challenges ahead of us, really ensuring that, you know, because our goal isn't just to bring back um, and build Arctic elephants and bring back uh, functional mammoths, but to actually reintroduce them into the Arctic successfully. Uh, and that gets into your second questions, um, you know, uh, of numbers. And so, um, four to six years is what our goal is to have our first calves. Um, like any big engineering project, that could slip some, but at least that's what our, our first initial target set looks like. Um, George, do you want to talk about numbers? Yeah, yeah. So, so the numbers are surprisingly small, even though there was, on average, one uh, elephant mammoth type uh, uh, every square kilometer uh, in the Arctic at one point. Um, we don't. We won't need nearly that many in order to uh, have an impact. Uh, we think that as little as one million square kilometers out of the 20 million square kilometers of Arctic would have a, uh, a very significant impact on uh, both uh, keeping carbon sequestered and sequestering new carbon on the order of gigatons. Um, put that in perspective: humans produce uh, about uh, 10 gigatons per year of carbon uh, in, into carbon, mostly into carbon dioxide. Um, and, and, that, and that one square, one million square kilometers could probably be done by um, hundreds, maybe low thousands of, of uh, Arctic elephants. And that's because uh, little known fact that the mammoths would, and elephants for that matter, but mammoths have been uh, measured to do about the equivalent of two times around the globe uh, in a lifetime, so that's a it's a lot of uh, 
space they cover. So we, we estimate that that's sort of our, our goal. And that that's, uh, I think, within fairly easy scaling, possibly the first generation could, could provide most of those uh, elephants if we scale it up from the beginning. Thank you. Esteban, I'll go to you next. How's it going, everybody? Uh, my name is Esteban. I am the host of In the Trench, a STEM-based podcast based out of South Florida. And it's really interesting, everything that's happening here, because we just had Jack Horner on, who is like one of the lead paleontologists right now working on bringing back a dinosaur by gen genetically mutating a chicken. So I was able to talk to him about his opinions, and I want to bring it to you guys and wonder, are mammoths and de-endangering um, the Arctic elephant the end for you? Or is that like your in, like foot in the door to different species to de-endanger down the line? So for us, it really is about species preservation and, and this concept of species extension. What we're doing with the Arctic elephants is we're effectively building functional mammoths and allowing them to, to be uh, uh, placed in an area that not only helps from a uh, uh, combating uh, climate and, and, and Arctic re restoration, but it also uh, allows them to be moved to a location where there's not as much human animal conflict. Um, you know, we're, we're myopically focused on the mammoth because that's a you know, big hard project to, to start with. But beyond that, you know, I think there's other species that, you know, we could apply that to. Um, we're not interested in the uh, the, the novelness of species. We're more interested in, in the function and the utility uh, of species. And so we want to look at what are, what are endangered species that we can help, to George's point, uh, uh, leverage genes from you know, both geographic, various geographic regions and time in order to achieve that. I do think a secondary species that we are not currently working on that could be interesting is helping uh, uh, the rhinos and what's, what's happening there. And if you look at um, a wonderful species, the, uh, you know, the northern whites get a lot of um, uh, attention, but Sumatran rhino, there's only about 80 left in, 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 in the wild. And so if we had the ability to give them the same uh, uh, cold tolerant uh, genes and treatments that their ancestors had, the woolly rhino, I think that we would be able to return them back to a uh, cold um, uh, Arctic domain as well, which, which also I think could help some of the sequestration work uh, in parallel. So, so for us, it's, it's, it's about, you know, being very, very selective on what uh, decisions we want to make. And, and I don't think it'll, it, it'll stop at de-extinction uh, of these genes and, uh, it'll, and species uh, extension. I think it'll also go into uh, helping small populations of, of, of current species, right? Like what you're seeing with the Northern white rhino, what you've seen with blue whale and others. Um, thank you. And really quick, do you think you'll ever tackle like the Tasmanian devil or that one well, that kind of went extinct thanks to human the, involvement? Yeah, the Tasmanian, uh, the thylacine, the Tasmanian yeah. tiger. Uh, yeah. We get a lot of we get a lot of requests for that. If, if it makes the right, you know, and it's a marsupial. And so, um, you know, there hasn't been a lot of uh, cloning done on, on, on marsupials. It's not uh, a current focus and target of us, but we, we do get a request about once a day or once an hour for it. So it's, it's definitely a fan favorite. Um, but once again, it, it has to make a uh, ecological reason for us to really dive in it. George, do you have anything else to add on? The yeah, section? well, so in addition, uh, so the Tasmanian devil is itself uh, got uh, 
survival issues. It's, it, it's not extinct, um, but it, it, it is so uh, low diversity that they, they're one of the few animals that has a contagious uh, cancer that's spread through the uh, biting and saliva. And, uh, and so that's a, it's an obvious case where introducing diversity from, in this case, back in time, um, would be would probably be advantageous, and we could also, uh, since we we know what causes cancers to be rejected um, immunologically, it's the same thing that causes grafts to be rejected. Uh, we could do that synthetically, as uh, we're not limited to a naturally occurring DNA, although we we like it as well tested. Yeah, so both the thylacine and the uh, Tasmanian devil are things that our technologies will hopefully contribute to, even if we don't do it personally. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So Leah and Robert are with my office. So I'm going to Hoyo Jung Kim next. Do you have a question? I do. Um, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. My name is Hoyo Jung. I'm a politics producer at Cheddar News based in Washington, D.C. We're doing a story on the extension and the angle I'm focused on is really about the regulation. So when people hear about CRISPR technology and bringing about the woolly mammoth and whatever, people the first thing that pops into people's mind is, oh, is Jurassic Park actually going to happen? So and it is it is a proven fact that, you know, Congress kind of lags behind the uh, pace of technolo technological development. So I was wondering if you guys can speak a little bit about the, you know, cans and cans of the CRISPR technology that we have that you guys are using for this project. And if, you know, there is a possibility of this technology basically running amok because of the lack of regulations right now. I think they're actually very good regulations right now, and we should be supportive of them. Uh, uh, the, these include the FDA, the USDA, and the EPA in the United States. Um, those, uh, all three of those agencies apply to, um, uh, to, wild, to any kind of engineering of wild animals. Um, and there are precedents. I mean, there are there's about a thousand rewilding efforts worldwide um, uh, that we're bringing the the Rive and Store team and others are involved in bringing back the American chestnut, which had a, a a serious pathogen blight that has now been engineered out of a, of a new strain of American chestnut. Uh, the bison has been rewilded. The uh, uh, California condor. Now. Uh, I think there's lots of regulation. And one of the things we're trying to do by conversations like this is to raise consciousness well in advance of, of, uh, of us finishing uh, the first um, uh, calf uh, so that we have, so we can either find out whether there's um, uh, sufficient enthusiasm to, 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 to speed this up or slow it down. Um, so, uh, you yeah. know. Thank you. Sergio, um, do you want me to go back to you? I can go back to you. I assume you have another question. Yes, yes. Well, uh, they, are, they are scientists, many scientists against this idea of bringing back the mammoths. So can you talk a little bit about this? And uh, can you talk about the um, environmental uh, and social environmental impact that may come from this, uh, from this, uh, from this action? So uh, uh, I would ask this question to both uh, Mr. Ben and uh, Sir George. So I don't know if you can clarify about the environmental uh, 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 impacts that may come from this action. And can you talk a little bit about the, the, the idea of many scientists that are against this idea, this, uh, this action, I mean? Yeah, 
Well, I think, so we're not exactly in favor of bringing back the mammoth right at the moment either. So, uh, so I can count myself among those scientists that are opposed to it. Uh, mainly because it's, it's not necessary. Uh, I, I think we have a, a problem in the Arctic uh, that is, uh, um, that it is melting. And uh, that, that is, it's already uh, changed some some conservation would say to the detriment of species diversity relative to 10,000 years ago um, because uh, the, the very rich ecosystems of the grasslands have been replaced um, with, with uh, trees. And that also, that results for three different reasons, results in uh, melting and uh, methane release. And methane is 30 times worse than carbon dioxide as a uh, global warming gas. So um, I think there's a number of reasons that you would want to have Arctic elephants there. And, and the goal is not to have no impact on the environment, it's to have a positive impact on the environment. Uh, I, I could address specific questions, but I mean, that, that's, that, would be my, uh, that would be my concern is that we, doing nothing is, uh, is doing something. It is melting um, the largest source of carbon in the world and in the worst possible form, which is methane. So, um, so I, I, there may be other arguments that I'm not addressing, but I, I'd have to hear specifically what those are. Oh, thank you, thank you. Caroline, do you have another question? I do. Um, first one is perhaps better suited for Ben. Um, what's the future business model that you foresee uh, with the company. And then also, if I can, for, for George, uh, we've sort of touched on the criticism that other scientists may have about this project, but what's your own ethical calculation on what you're doing? Yeah, so from, from a business perspective, you know, I think we've done a really good job of cultivating um, long-term, uh, highly ambitious, uh, um, future-seeking investors, uh, including Thomas Toll, who's our largest investor, and, um, and Richard Garriott and Tim Draper, and among Tom Chi, among others. And these are, these are folks that have, have built incredibly uh, transformative businesses in various industries. And so, um, so we don't have any pressure today to be uh, monetizing. We, we look at this company and, and, and as do our investors, very similar to the Apollo program. And look, and that was, as you know, a literal moonshot. Out of that moonshot, incredible technologies came out of it, uh, including uh, many fundamental technologies for the internet and communication, uh, GPS. Uh, Tang is, I think, also a fan favorite, but not, not one that as impactful as, uh, as GPS or or some of the communication technologies or life support systems. And so, um, so we look at, and, and all of those were, were highly monetizable. If you look at the great work that George and his lab's done on multiplex editing, if you look at uh, what we're working on with artificial wombs, which we feel really strongly about as it relates to the scale of, of the number of Arctic elephants um, that we want, um, and some of the other uh, technologies that we think will come out of it, we think there's many areas uh, uh, to build transformative technologies uh, um, that monetize. Yeah, so the technologies will probably be the first uh, actual products. Um, and then in uh, terms of the ethics, uh, 
I, you know, I think it's uh, might be perceived as unethical to not save the Asian elephants. Uh, they are currently endangered by conflict with humans and uh, herpes virus, and so we're we're trying to reduce both of those. Um, the herpes virus we're, we're synthesizing and 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 um, looking for vaccines or endogenous antibodies or CRISPR um, for the human. We're, we're there. We're looking at uh, naturally occurring elephants that, that don't have tusks uh, for that particular kind of uh, risk. And then there's also risk just from being so close to farmers. If they accidentally step on the farmer's uh, plants, they get uh, pushed back. So, so we want to give them a, a whole other land where there's very low human population density to make them safer. So that's one aspect of the ethics. Um, the um you know changing the environment we're obviously changing the environment uh with the uh, um millions of square kilometers of farmland that we have i i think this would be something that's a much more natural experiment and it's has a very um uh, potentially positive role in um in in carbon sequestration um and, and George has a and George has a, a bioethicist uh, that uh, consults uh, with his lab, and we've we've added two top bioethicists to our scientific advisory board. So our biggest goal is, I think, it's about the team, the the transparency, but the team internally, uh, the team externally with our scientific advisory board, which in, which also includes some of the top elephant conservationists. You know, Ian Douglas Hamilton's probably the most respected and well known. Uh, elephant um, conservationists in, in the world. So both combining the conservationist angle with the ethics uh, is, is really, really important to us. And then also transparency. You know, we we welcome uh, the negative feedback just as much as the positive feedback because we learn from it. Thank you. Um, Esteban, do you have a, another question? I do I have one last question. Um, so de-extinction and de-endangerment isn't really a necessarily new topic. Clearly, it's been around since the 90s and 80s with Jurassic Park, and it's been attempted before. My question for you is, where do you guys think you succeeded or cracked the code where you think others might have failed in the past? Well, so, I mean, Jurassic Park uh, didn't have... I mean, it was fiction and it didn't have, uh, it, it, it's turned out that there isn't DNA older than a million years so far. And so almost everything that would be interesting for the Cretaceous and the Jurassic eras are, are you know, almost a hundred times older than that. So that's one uh, difference. Um, other de-extinctions are mostly rewildings. That is to say things that are extinct in the wild and then you breed them a little bit in in zoos and then put them back out there like the california condor and the bison were examples of that um there's there's a, a growing number of examples where a properly frozen um embryo or cell can be used to re restore that individual but it's usually of a species that still exists it's just the goal is to get diversity which is essentially what we're doing too we're we're not really um uh, doing Jurassic Park at all, we're, we're, we're focusing on the endangered Asian elephants. That's why we call them Arctic elephants rather than mammoths. So I, I don't think we're going to succeed where Jurassic Park failed. I, I think that 
if you want a dinosaur, uh, you know, birds are pretty good, uh, probably the re remainders of the dinosaurs. Uh, and you have to have, I think you need to have specific goals. If you want to bring back an extinct gene, to what end? And our, and our end is, is the endangered Asian elephant and the uh, restoration of the Arctic. Awesome. Thank you so much. We have time for about one more question. Hoyo um, Jung Kim, would you like to answer our or ask our last question? It would be an honor. So, <laughs> uh, so both Ben and uh, Dr. you guys have been very clear about how your purpose is species preservation, not bringing back the things from the past. So, like, I feel like you guys really, really honed in on that. Is is that because of you know ethical reason or? Practicality reason? I think it's practical. Uh, we're developing a set of tools that will be useful in agriculture and conservation. Um, and those tools include synthetic biology, which is not dependent on ancient DNA, plus ancient DNA. Uh, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for doing survey of all the living species and a lot of the extinct species to, to get them into databases before they disappear. Um, and, and we're collaborating with some great, um, we're, we're uh, collaborating with some great folks like the BGP, the, Ver, the Vertebrae Genome Project, uh, whose goal it is is to you know, build full reference genomes uh, of all of the vertebrates, uh, of the living, all current and living vertebrates on the planet, focusing initially on the most critically endangered. And we've been funding some of that research uh, as well. And so, I think that to, to just echo George's point, it's really uh, about the why. I think that you can do a lot of things, you know, in, in science and leveraging these technologies, but, you know, what is kind of your core? So, you know, bioethics and conservation are at our core to our mission. You know, Arctic rewilding is a fundamental North Star of the company. So when we make our decisions, we need to be thoughtful on, on that climate changes something that, you know, is kind of the existential threat of our time. And, and we can lose up to 50% of all biodiversity between now and 2050 if we don't do anything. Real quickly, so is it, so could I, could I say what you guys are trying to do in long-term is kind of like creating sort of a seed vault, but for like, I mean, mammals and animals? I think there's other, folks like the great work that's being done at the San Diego Zoo for the, in the San Diego frozen zoo specifically on kind of that tissue sample vault. I think our focus is more on selecting species that have a uh, ecological positive impact for the world and for potentially even saving their existing um, uh, lineage. And in this case, the uh, Asian elephant um, by uh, us giving them the genetic tools to exist in their ancestral domain, which was obviously much colder uh, in the Arctic. And so I think there's great work that's being done by, you know, the San Diego Frozen Zoo and others on kind of the banking. Um, our focus is being selective on species that we can apply these technologies to that can make a difference. Gotcha, thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for your time. Well, now you saw the video. And like I told you in the beginning, I'm here with my friend, Brandon. Yo. You can introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Brandon. Uh, you guys will probably see me in a later podcast, Je <laughs> Jeopardy Champion, uh, first edition, but uh, I'll let you guys see that later, but uh, cool to be on. Well, spoiler, but dirty win, very dirty win.
Mm. He had he had help from the house. But um, okay. So as you just saw, we just had an interview. I had an, the opportunity to ask a couple of questions right. to George Church and Ben Lamb, which are the head runners of Colossal, and essentially. They they call it an Arctic elephant because mm-hmm. they don't want to use the term woolly mammoth, right. but it's a it's, woolly yeah, mammoth. Yeah, exactly. And they're talking about bringing it back. They already raised the money. It's already happening. Like it's not like I explained at the beginning. It's not like they're really maybe doing it. No, they put to uh, fifteen million dollars into that fund just to just to do. It. And now, yeah. according to what they were saying, they are planning in three to four years have the first right, cow. Yeah, I saw that. So I'll open it up with what are your opinions on de-extinction as a whole? Uh, well, uh, there's an interesting uh, point that I think that was made uh, by the Colossal Company. I think uh, one of the founders did a TED Talk, and I thought what he said was really interesting that a lot of people think that the environment is maybe what killed the mammoths. Like People think, like, oh, the environment was changing and stuff like that. And that's why the woolly mammoths died. And now it's kind of like maybe because the woolly mammoths died that the environment started changing over there more because they're, I guess, so vital to, like, the environment and stuff. So that's something that that's, like, their biggest um, point right now is that the woolly mammoths are supposed to help our environment. Mm -hmm. It's somehow supposed to combat um, climate change by bringing them back. And personally, I'm all for de-extinction, especially for... Um, species that we got rid of. Yeah. So, like, the North American condor, for example, we were the cause of their extinction. The dodo bird, useless animal. Yeah. But I want it. I want it back. Um, I did ask them about a specific animal that, according to them, that's, like, the most high... They get a request every single hour for the Tasmanian tiger. Yeah, I saw that. It was really popular. So they get a request every hour, and supposedly they're not fully extinct. Like, not fully, fully extinct. There yeah, are what's, rumors. What's the relation between that and the Tasmanian devil? Is there any? It's the same animal. Yeah, okay. So, it's it's, it's, it's called a thylacine. Right. And according to people, like, there are sightings. Really, really rare. rare. It's, like, it's like seeing Bigfoot. Because you could see it, but nobody's ever killed one. Mm-hmm. No one's ever caught one. Supposedly, there's one or two left, like, just roaming around. And it's really funny, because I watched a movie with Nicole the other day um, with Willem Dafoe. And the oh, whole wow. point of the movie was him going to Australia or New Zealand to hunt one of these things because they reproduce. Like, so one, one of the glands has like this venom that's really good for hunting or something. Hmm. So the whole movie was dedicated to there's one left in the world. Go find it. He found it at the end. Spoiler alert. But it, it, it brings up the point where, like, I'm all for what Colossal is doing. I got really excited when I first heard of them. I was actually in the gym and they were on CNN. Right. And I see uh, a group of scientists raised $15 million to bring back woolly mammoth. And I'm like, I need them on the podcast. And I technically had them on the podcast, but they don't do one-on-one interviews. So I got invited to that thing. The other question I asked them was if, aside of this being a foot in the door, what did, have they done that others have failed at? Because de-extinction isn't necessarily a new topic. Right, yeah, exactly. So... Personally, I want to obviously want to see dinosaurs running around. I saw Jack Horner is trying to—he's not de-extincting an animal; he's just mutating a chicken. 
Yeah, that's kind of similar to what they're trying to do. They're, trying, they're not to trying to bring back exactly the Wooly Mammoth, but they're kind of gene editing to bring so something similar. Something interesting I saw because they they say that the whole mosquito and amber, that's not yeah, that's not that's a not a thing. The DNA dies after a million years, um, which I didn't know. I didn't know DNA had like an expiration date, but they were talking about they can reanimate dormant genes in an animal that obviously have been dormant for millions and millions of years. Now, the woolly mammoth isn't a million-year-old DNA. Woolly mammoth is... Right, only 3,000, like 4,000. five to 10,000 years old. Not even. Like Not even. Like, like yeah. smaller. And we even we find a lot, a lot of times, like, perfectly preserved baby yeah, woolly especially, mammoths. Especially, yeah, in, in Siberia and stuff, they're basically perfectly res- preserved, and they're still just getting like the tusks now and stuff that people are just like those selling in the villages mm-hmm. and they're, they're just and you could harness dna from that yeah, which exactly. is interesting which is what they're trying to do one of the points that a lot of the i'm not gonna say social justice warriors but uh, people, people believe ethically ethically that it's against some moral code or yeah i could see that it's kind of like an act of playing god almost in a way bullshit like but then i guess like there was also like the other side where i saw where people were saying like we were the cause of like their destruction exactly and maybe it's our responsibility to like, give it a chance to bring them bring them back we hunted them to extinction yeah and the fun the funny thing is that this is before pollution before anything before guns mm-hmm. like indians right knocked these guys out of out of population so i personally I'm all for it. I know they do have a list of of um, animals to tackle after. They were talking about certain whales, certain um, certain dead fish. I say megalodon. They say no. <laughs> so I want. And the big thing also is that this isn't just for de-extinction. They could tackle like critically endangered animals right, yeah, yeah. and and start bringing them back. I know they were talking about a the Siberian tiger, which is down to I think under 700 of them. Mm-hmm. The white rhino, that's a huge one that they were talking about. That I believe they're down to like two yeah, of them. Barely anything. And they're like guarding them with 24 7 24 security units. Yeah. If we could start building back up those populations, bringing back up the populations of, of extinct birds, extinct animals, extinct everything that we are the cause to remove, I think that is what we should do. I think yeah, for sure. instead of playing God, I think. God made humans. Humans killed animals. God made the ability to bring back animals through humans. Right. So if anything, I'm playing Logically God. Logically makes sense. I think God gave us the ability to bring them back. Yeah, I agree. So I don't think the, the discussion. Now, if you want to go about playing God by bringing back a T-Rex, that's a different topic. Right, because these were pretty much animals that were alive when we were alive also. So it's Yeah, it was... It was we're not bringing in an, an apex predator. Maybe that will, that would inevitably just wreak wreak havoc on us. Not even that. To quote the great Ian Malcolm, Ian Malcolm. They had their chance. Yeah. And nature selected them to get deleted. They weren't a cause of global. Uh, they weren't a cause of mass hunting. They weren't a cause of pollution. They were a cause of. God, pure randomness. <laughs> God deleting them. So, I mean, but don't get me wrong. I want them back. 
I, I want science to see what they can do. I know the whole thing is like, well, oh, I don't know if they should, just because they should, just because they could, should they? I say I'm all for new evolution, new, new discoveries. If we can bring back a 65 million year old dinosaur. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I agree entirely. I'd probably want them to bring back animals that have like somewhat of a purpose, I guess, more so than. I guess, it would be yeah. a glorified zoo if they yeah, bring them exactly. back. Exactly. And if they were even to have them wild or something, I think you'd, <laughs> people would either just start hunting them or they would just start, like, destroying, like, every village in, like, Africa or something. It would destroy. <laughs> <laughs> like, these people already have enough to deal with, and now we're just going to start dropping dinosaurs on them and uh, let, let them try uh. to figure it out. <laughs> Or one day they're worrying about where the water is <laughs> going to come from. The next day. They're already, they're already trying to wash their clothes in the Nile. They have million-year-old crocodiles, and now we're just going to start dropping velociraptors <laughs> in the mix. <laughs> I, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but you know my fucked-up dream. Right, yeah. Kind of go into a Hunger Games with, like, two Rex <laughs> almost. So I have I have a a desire that I feel that I need to do at some point in my life and it can only be fulfilled by dropping me in an enclosed island with a T-Rex a bloodlust T-Rex that wants to kill me and my purpose is to get from point A to point B of the island hopefully it's a long trip I'm talk, I'm talking like 3 miles 4 miles long like I want this to be hard I want to feel death behind me in this scenario i don't know why i need this i don't know why i need the no, feeling I, I, to get I've, I've had that feeling with maybe not dinosaurs but like like actual like hunger games i think would be kind of cool but humans yeah i, I don't That's know if i want to be killing people but like <laughs> just to survive like um, if they had like a really realistic vr type of thing <laughs> i think that would be kind of cool no i i fuck that same no. thing with the dinosaurs if it was a, i would definitely play that game well, if it was a dinosaur VR, sure, I would do it, but I wouldn't feel... Like, I want to not be guaranteed survival. Mm. And I'm not talking about me killing this T-Rex. If I can... I will be given a machete, and that is all I have. And there's no way I can kill the T-Rex with a machete, because there's no way I can get nah. close, unless I climb a tree, and he's going under. Even I, if you <sighs> are close, I, I don't even think that machete's doing anything. You think the skin's too tough? That and I think even just like the just a big iguana can go right through him. Yeah, that that cut. But that's the thing. If I climb a tree, and I jump and I get him straight in the brain, there's no way he's just gonna shake me off. He's gonna. He'll go straight autism and then fall on the floor and die. Yeah, I've seen some iguanas get hit by cars and they. Right when they get hit, they're just. They're done. Yeah. They like. Rough. We're getting a little too non-PC, but who gives yeah. a fuck? Who gives a fuck? I, I was telling Nicole this. Like, I want the right people to follow me. Like, no, I, I'm not a fucking snowflake. Like, I'm putting this out there. I'm not going to go right. into we're, deep We're not shit. killing iguanas on the street. We're not killing yeah. iguanas. Although, I, mm, I have a really sad story. Damn, about you killing. hit one? I hit an iguana. And the worst thing is I, I couldn't do anything. There's a car coming yeah, behind me. Fault. There's a car on the other side. <laughs> but to, to, to wrap up pretty much everything, because... It was pretty a pretty long conversation with Ben Lamb and George Church. I 
I'm excited to see what they're doing in the future. I think it's super interesting, yeah. I do want them to succeed. I feel like they will succeed with the the mammoth. And I want them to tackle other other animals. I do if I had to list a particular amount of animals, I'd start with the rhino. It's the first animal I start with. Second animal I start with is the is the North American condor because they went extinct like the last 45 years. Third animal I'm talking the thylacine. Bring them back because we also hunted them to extinction. And then for me, bring back megalodon and bring back um, a dodo bird. I think the more interesting thing that I started thinking about, like when I started uh, looking more into like what they were doing and stuff with the gene editing was maybe like what they could do with the animals that we have now, and like maybe editing their genes to become create like new animals. Well, no, maybe just make them like more like, you know how they're trying to make like a cold weather resilient elephant pretty much for the to yeah. pretty much make it a mammoth and if we could maybe do that with like the animals we have now like for example like oh, polar sure. bears or penguins or something have them be able to survive in like heat yeah something like that i don't know and maybe inevitably with i guess i don't know ethically but with people if that's maybe what it's leading into i think to be able eventually to these type of climates if this technology does go rampant because apparently something they were talking about in the interview was what kind of regulations do they have? Right, like how, yeah, how free are they? Because this is relatively new technology. Yeah. How free are they to go crazy with gene editing? We are on path. If some fucked up military wanted to, they could start and they have been doing it since, since the yeah. Nazis experimenting with genuine, like super soldiers, like some Warhammer 40 K shit where they have like two yeah, hearts, exactly. three lungs, yeah, kind of scary, I guess. Would you something if 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 yeah. they perfected it, and they say they can guarantee an extra thirty years of good life for I you? I felt that question coming on. Um, would you do it? If they say you could be one hundred and twenty, right. looking sixty, and feeling forty, I'm gonna be honest. I'm doing it. Yeah, if you if your brain is still there, I think. I think that's like the biggest problem I think they have with yeah you'll go, you'll yeah. go crazy I, most people's brains I think after a hundred that they're just I think there is they they measured how much storage we have and that's why they say you can't be immortal because your, right. your brain yeah, that's will why run you out start of forgetting stuff when you're older pretty much but they say a human essentially could live 500 years and have a functioning really? brain if they can eliminate disease which is like the right, biggest yeah, cause exactly and find a way for you not to get sick and your brain not to deteriorate and, and cause of disease, you can get to 500 technically and mm -hmm. still be functioning. So if I, if I can be like uh, conscious and like quick. All right, so would you do like, uh, are you familiar with altered carbon? Yeah. Like that sh would no, you? I wouldn't do a sleeve. No? No, I wouldn't do a sleeve. I feel like it's not me, I would die. Right, but what if it's like I know maybe not like the sleeves where it's like different people, but if it's like the same you, like the same type of sleeve. Like they just build a version yeah, of me yeah, and they yeah. just like transfer it, like me. the ultra rich people have like the same sleeve pretty much. If it's my brain that actually gets moved into the sleeve, mm -hmm. yes. But if it's, it's just if it's just, if it's your just consciousness, my consciousness, like I feel like they I feel like it'll be an AI version of me. Right, like it'll just be a copy. But I much. will actually die. Right. 
So then there's no so point. So it's like actually you dying, but your copy is living on pretty much. Yeah, but that makes no sense yeah, to exactly. me because I'm dead. Yeah. Like I, I'm, the point is for me to live on. I don't give a fuck if my conscience. What, what good would I do to society to keep living if it's I? A bit selfish. <laughs> would you do it? No, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I would, definitely, if they perfect the technology and I have, it's probably gonna be for like the ultra rich. But if they perfect the technology and I have the money and I can live an extra 60 years at full health. Yeah. Hell yeah. It. 100%. Yeah. Because I mean, that means you could hang out with your kids, your grandkids, your, you could play tackle yeah, it football. It depends if you have to like keep working or if you're, if you're like retired and you can Well, if you can even get stuff. this surgery, you're probably ultra rich. Yeah, I'm sure. So whatever. Those are our takes on the actual interview with Ben Lamb and George Church. Thanks again to them for and Colossal for letting me on. Thank you to Brandon for having yeah, this quick little post podcast conversation. Super interesting. Stay tuned for our Jeopardy game episode, which yes. is going live. Next episode on Wednesday is going to be, um, who is it? It's going to be our good friend Motley, actually. Motley's coming on. He's a really cool guy. He is, he's like one of those most interesting type of people in the world. He is a rock star who flies airplanes, doesn't have a pilot's license, though. Um, Does some crazy shit, gets invited to the craziest. It's a bunch. And he's a huge nerd, too. So we go, and he actually came here. So it was a live podcast and very interesting dude. Sounds like a good one. He's coming on on Wednesday, so stay tuned for that. And then we'll probably release Halloween week is after that. So we'll release the Jeopardy show first episode in November. Anyway, thank you, Brandon. Cool. Thanks for having me thank on. Thank you, people. Peace.